This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, both representing Transitions Life Care. Mary and Sam, you know, luckily we're here in the air conditioning, but, uh, you know, everything is, is going well. How, how's everything on your end, Mary? It's going well. The pool's opening soon, so it that's is. very exciting. <laughs> Good some sun. Yes. Sam, doing well? Well as well. I can't hit the Gaines game up earlier oh, in yeah. the week. Um, so I'm thankful to have my voice and my hearing back to full functioning because it was a little touch and go there for a few days. Go Canes. That's right. Well, let's get into our topic at hand, and we're going to be discussing cremation and you know if you've made the decision for cremation what comes after that and to have a discussion on that we are pleased to welcome back to returning guests diane miller manager of pine forest memorial gardens in wake forest as well as andy wheeler owner of clancy strickland wheeler funeral home diane and andy thank you both so much for coming back on the program thanks for having us So we had a great discussion last time you guys were on about green burial. I think our audience got a lot out of that, but we'll shift gears a little bit and talk about cremation. So maybe we start with some of the basics. What are some reasons that someone would choose cremation versus an alternative method of burial? Um, I've seen that a lot of times people will choose cremation um, because it it can be less expensive than what's become traditional body burial. Um, And I think A reason that I hear even more often is that people think that's all they have to say is I'm going to be cremated and that that's the end of the discussion. They don't have to plan anything else. They don't have to um, have any discussion with any family members. It's just I'm going to be cremated and that's it. Mm -hmm. And really, when someone's going to be cremated, there are a whole lot more decisions that have to be made. And it really isn't fair to your family and loved ones to just say, I'm going to be cremated and then dump everything else on them to have to do. That's so interesting. I never really thought of that. Yeah, yeah. What other kind of things should they be considering when, you know, you're just talking about how it's not just a, I'm going to be cremated and done. What are some of those things that uh, that they should be thinking through as well? Uh, I I think that, you know, the biggest thing is just uh, getting the, the, the conversation with their family going so that they're you know where they're going to be when 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 that when the cremation is complete. Um, I think a lot of times people forget about that and don't think about the fact that you know at some point we'll hit a generation that that's not connected to the person and it's kind of like where do you want your cremator remains you know long term mm-hmm. uh, twenty thirty years on the road. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So what are some you, other... usually? Oh sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Usually, if people will make their their plans ahead, they they can decide where placement should be for an urn immediately after the cremation because so many times nobody knows what to do with the urn afterwards if that plan hasn't been made Mm -hmm. sometimes one child wants it or the spouse wants it and then it makes it inconvenient for the other family members to be able to have alone time with that person or to feel that closeness again um or there's family arguments and Mm -hmm. that can cause a problem with custody sometimes kids 
want the urine. There's other times kids don't want the urine. And then what do you do? And again, if, if parents um, would just make their own arrangements so that there isn't this limbo for people. Um, and then sometimes last minute, one child will decide, no, I don't want my mother cremated. And then that starts a whole other thing. So if people plan in advance, have everything taken care of, their wishes are fully indicated. And, and people usually will follow through with what the parents' wishes were if everything's in place and paid for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So are there some specific questions someone should ask uh, to educate themselves when they're considering cremation? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, is knowing the cremation provider and, and kind of, you know, speaking with them and being comfortable with them and, and, and knowing the whole chain of custody process and, and, and the legal documents that go into the process of cremation and, and how people planning ahead can make that simpler because with the society we live in today, a lot of people are out of, you know, out of town, out of state, sometimes out of country. Um, so it's by planning ahead, you can kind of save your family a lot of, uh, stress during that time of them possibly want to travel back home for whatever the, the event may be, um, and make it a smoother process down the road. But the biggest thing is, you know, talking with a cremation provider and being comfortable with them to make sure that when your wishes are, uh, time for your wishes to be carried out that, you know, you know, you've got the right person for that, for that task. Mm-hmm, definitely. So what criteria or questions should you be asking that potential cremation provider? Um, I think the biggest thing is chain of custody, just making sure that, that you're, you know, always with someone that's trusted. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of cre- crematory providers in this um, area, uh, you know, may say crematory on site and different things like that when really they own their possibly only own their own crematory but the body has to be transferred so Mm -hmm. you know just knowing who's kind of carrying out that you know taking you to the crematory transportation or whatever that may be um and then also you know ask the cremation provider for a tour um go check it out look at it and just see where it's at and how they take care of it and um you know the cleanliness of it and things like that um those would be my biggest concerns if, if it was me and my family mm-hmm. um, and, and I've done that with with any side of funeral service if I have a loved one I want to see the facility and kind of know um, you know you can tell a lot by just looking at a place on how they care for things so, mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm curious how popular is cremation have you guys seen a rise in cremations over traditional burials in the last uh, few years or is this a shift in um, uh, trend that people are leaning towards cremation more I think so. I mean, it's it's just the the years I've been in the business. It's gone from you know very limited to you know a lot more popular than than the traditional burial side of things. And also, too, one thing is when people have chosen cremation, um, and and it's versus traditional burial. If they know about green burial, a lot of times people who are thinking cremation will shift back over to green burial because they like the idea mm-hmm. of not harming the earth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You guys mentioned um, earlier, and I want to touch on um, pre-plan, pre-planning permanent placement. Uh, so why do I need to pre-plan a permanent placement with a cemetery? Well, there's a 
There's a number of reasons, and sometimes, you know, a parent will say, or, you know, I'm talking to a parent, they'll say, I don't care what my kids do with me. They can mm -hmm. figure that out afterwards, which really isn't fair. No. <laughs> and especially um, when this is somebody that loves you and you love, and you've always protected them and, and made plans and cared for them. But just a couple of quick stories that, that have changed my mind about the importance of permanent placement and why it's necessary. Um, my Aunt Nancy was sitting on her couch, having in front of the fire, watching TV, and on the mantle was my cousin Jimmy, my Uncle Johnny, my Grandma Mary, and Aunt Nancy was feeling surrounded by her loved ones, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it dawned on her, who's going to want all these urns when I die? <laughs> and so... Um, I, and, and we talked about it, and she got a burial spot, and then when Aunt Nancy died, she was put in with, with everybody else, and they had a little family plot. And, and, and that, so that's something to bear in mind. And another thing, too, um, my girlfriend's best friend died. Her husband had her cremated, and she never got to go to where um, her best friend was, that she could mm -hmm. go and reminisce. The husband had her at home, and he was remarried in three months. And who knows where that urn is? Um, she just, you know, and she just, I long to spend time with her, I, I just to, to be feel close to her. And she can't do that. And I think a lot of people forget that when you're cremated, you're still a person. You're, you're, you're not just a body or the person, you're the body of a loved one. You're, you're not just the bones anymore. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're still have that identity of being a person that was loved and had important relationships. Definitely. And one last question for you. Are there any other way, when someone's cremated, what are some other ways other than, you know, picking a plot or doing these things? Can you scatter the remains or mm -hmm. is that legal? You know, I, I'm just curious if people, you know, people are out doing that. Um, I know. My mom's made it adamant she'd like to be dumped in the ocean. Yeah. So. Can you do that? Are you allowed <laughs> to do that? I think Legally, um, there's a, like a three-mile um, uh, requirement to go out into the ocean to do that. Um, but, again, you can also um, separate some ashes and place, do that with some, but then give some a permanent resting place so people have somewhere to go mm -hmm. to. And another real quick story, a girl came to the door, wanted to know where her mom was buried and, and hadn't been here for 15 years. And I said, do you mind if I ask why, you know, after 15 years? And she started to cry. She said, I'm going through a divorce, and I just need to feel mm -hmm. close to my mom. Usually I can talk to the sky, and I'm okay. I feel like I'm talking to her, but now I need to feel close. And I could see her outside, and you could tell she was sitting on the ground talking and, and, and crying and talking again. And if her mom had just been scattered, she never could have had that feeling of closeness and connection again. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And Diane and Andy, we thank you both so much for your time and for uh, giving us some good things to consider when considering cremation and discussing how that's becoming a more and more popular option. Again, we were speaking with Diane Miller, manager of Pine Forest Memorial Gardens in Wake Forest, as well as Andy Wheeler, owner of Clancy Strickland Wheeler Funeral Home. And don't forget, uh, you know, we also briefly mentioned Green Burial in this segment. And, you know, we did a, a, an episode with Diane and Andy a while back. You can go back and listen to that all about Green Burial at WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast button, find the Aging Matters section, and there you can listen to that episode. We are taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson and we're going to be discussing in this segment millennial caregiving and you know millennials often get blamed for you know <laughs> destroying things or are yeah. millennials ending this trend and you know one of the things that uh, of course we talk about on this show is caregiving but i don't think a lot of us tend to associate millennials with caregiving no. no, that's exactly right. You know, I, I was reading an article the other day, and it, the title is what got me. It said geriatric millennials mm. and how they're taking over the workforce and how they're the most important generation. But it's that later millennial and how we get a bad rap. Yeah, And, definitely. you know, we're actually a huge part of the caregiving system. And it's going to be shifting that way as we take care Absolutely. of our parents and grandparents like I do and yeah. Sam. You know, I've already started seeing it. You know, as a lot of you know, I'm in part of my day to day work. I'm out talking to a lot of family caregivers and Mm -hmm. I've noticed recently within the past year or two that a lot of these people I'm talking to are my age calling Mm -hmm. in for their parents and it's it's kind of a a light bulb moment a kind of hit to reality that wow this is you know something I could be facing very soon right and you know it's something I struggle with I take care of my grandfather Mm -hmm. and working around things like my work schedule to take him lunch and Mm -hmm. my my personal life after work to plan visits with him and make sure he has what he needs and I go to the grocery store and I think about does he need anything do we need paper towels do I need to go to Walmart Mm -hmm. um and, and making sure he's got his prescriptions and and you know that's a burden that a lot of people take on at an age much younger now and I think that the support is it's really important that we're supporting that generation Um, I have a I have a statistic I love stats (laughs) do share so according to the new global care well-being index from embracing carers 60 percent of first-time caregivers are millennials or gen z and 95 percent of that group say that they need help navigating the system to provide care 60 percent of first-time caregivers that's That's a lot that's an enormous number and you know you think about the people in that position you know uh for the geriatric millennials you're talking about folks who who are probably like really starting to get into a good point in their career Mm now uh these are folks who are are probably hopefully now past student debt but maybe not Mm. the case depending (laughs) on uh which education education track you took and so you know you think about the financial burden Mm -hmm. and then maybe having to put your career on pause depending on your family situation Mm -hmm. and then there's just the mental aspect of having to be in a caregiver role Mm -hmm. and combine that with uh, dealing with quarantine for a year and it's yeah. it's just it's a tremendous burden on anyone but uh, millennials I, I think just have gotten kind of the, the short end of the stick in terms of resources available to them mm-hmm. absolutely it's something I think about a lot you know but for both of our parents live far away they're not even in the same state as myself and my husband so it's something we think about how would we even you know, manage to care for them. And a lot of people are working later in their lives still. So Mm -hmm. I can't imagine trying to balance career and caregiving and life all in the same pot. 
I think there, there's one thing going for us is we're really good at Zoom. So I, I'm, I've gotten really good about teaching Zoom to my grandfather during <laughs> COVID through, you know, tr- uh, technology. And it's something that is maybe helping us mm-hmm. as a resource is being able to have the telehealth resources and, and have that technology aspect that we are are good at. It's a strength of our generation uh, and moving forward in the healthcare system. And that's one resource. But I feel like so many of the resources and networks that are out there were developed for this stereotypical caregiver, Mm -hmm. uh, a female over 50, Mm -hmm. and with a well-established career that doesn't need to worry about her finances. And here we are with loads of student debt. I (laughs) had my master's. I have 60,000 plus in student debt, and I'm trying to manage my career, helping my father, helping my mother, helping my grandfather. And there's people taking that on at a much younger, and we really need to think about those resources and what's out there Mm -hmm. for our generation to, to be able to manage this. I think it's really hard too for people who don't have a lot of experience in the healthcare field to navigate it. Um, you know, I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable or anxious trying to find resources or just talking even to your own doctor. Mm-hmm. So trying to coordinate that care for someone else, you know, I experienced it recently with my grandmother. She needed some home health services and even my own family, you know, they had no idea how they needed to get these services in place or what they needed to do to have a safe discharge from the hospital. So, you know, I can't imagine for someone who has no experience in healthcare trying to navigate that. It's very daunting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My good friend of mine just um, tragically is dealing with the death of his father, and he is a millennial. And I think there's this stereotype, as we talked about, that creates this insecurity um, around what a millennial is and how we can handle how we handle ourselves in these situations and in stressful situations, and especially when it comes to addressing these critical healthcare concerns for a loved one, there is this fear of being dealt like a child or being perceived as ignorant mm-hmm. as a millennial. And when you walk into a conversation with a doctor, and something he came up against with helping his father through um, the last months of his life was being ignored Mm -hmm. and not being felt as important in our health system um, as a millennial. But truly, he was a primary caregiver for his dad up until his last minutes. And I felt for him. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking about writing a book now, and I'm cheering him on um, (laughs) about his journey and advocating for himself and advocating for his dad to make sure that he got the care he needed. And um, thankfully, you know, we're very good friends. So I was able to talk with him through a lot of things like palliative care Mm -hmm. and hospice, which are great support systems. And I think that once palliative came in, he said he felt a relief of, I I can hand over some of this journey to them and they can talk to me in a way that's comforting and understanding. And they hear me, they hear what I've been going through, they hear what my mom's going through, they hear what my brother's going through. And they heard him. And I, I remember him calling me and saying, this is the first time in our entire journey that I have felt heard, and especially yeah. as myself. And I, mm-hmm. I felt appreciated in my caregiving journey. And I think it's important that we make sure that people find those resources, right. palliative care, and and at the, when the time comes, hospice care, mm-hmm. so that you can step back and enjoy those moments and, um, and, and enjoy the time with your loved one that you have. Um, so I, I felt his journey was really important, and, I'm, and I hope he writes a book. Yes, I would love to read that. I'd be anxiously awaiting that. Uh, getting those resources, like you mentioned, in place is so helpful, you know, especially the perspective of having an outside provider coming in and helping off to, to 
take some of that burden off of you. Um, so let's share some resources that we have kind of called together for folks. Um, I know one AARP who's prepared a care guide offers advice to new caregivers about communication, support mm-hmm. networks, and finding time to practice self-care is an awesome r- resource out there for folks. Uh, yeah, definitely. And for those who are in school, there's actually scholarships that exist no for way. caregivers. There's scholarships out there everywhere. I feel like you got to yeah. dig for them. You do have to dig, but there are scholarships that exist just for caregivers. And I think that's really important for the financial aspect and the burden that, that they're dealing with. So definitely dig, do some digging for some caregiver scholarships. Uh, another resource is the American Association of Caregiving Youth. So they're a nonprofit ag- advocacy group that promotes awareness of the challenges facing young caregivers, and they also help them find the proper resources. So another great one to check out. There are also tons of online forums. Mm-hmm. I was doing some Googling for my own for my own help and, and also when I was talking with my friend about different groups and forums that are out there for millennials and other young caregivers. It's so important to surround yourself with a good support network and finding people who are dealing with similar things to you is, is very helpful to be able to ha- toss around ideas and have conversations and, and really talk about what you have going on. Absolutely. Another one uh, is the area agency Agency on Aging, or AAA, not the ones who will tow your car. That's different. Uh, so they're a nonprofit that can help millennial caregivers find some local services for their loved ones. So some of those resources we mentioned, like palliative care, hospice, home health, maybe you need some private duty caregiving to come into the home. They're a great resource to contact. Definitely. And you know what's amazing and something that came out of this, um, the research that was done in in, uh, what I mentioned earlier, is that despite all the burdens that millennials go through, and in their journey with caregiving, they are still the most likely group to say that it was the most rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, people out there that just think we're a stereotypical millennial don't quite understand. There's a passion involved yes. in it. And feeling that connected to a mission and being able to help their loved one is so important. And um, it is a really rewarding journey for me, too. Yeah, I wouldn't trade the moments that I have with my grandfather, even though they're stressful sometimes, <laughs> for anything in this world. It, and being able to help him has been a great journey. Yeah, being able to have that mindset is is so key. And, you know, there are also plenty of resources available at transitionslifecare.org. You can go there and, uh, you know, there's contact information as well if you need to connect. Transitionslifecare.org. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Stick around. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, right here on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5. AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we are shifting focus here, and we're going to get into a conversation that uh, has affected many people and has become more and more of an important question Mm -hmm. uh, due to the impact of COVID-19, and that is the question of pursuing home health care versus 
home care. And those may sound very similar, but they are two very different things. And to help us explore this topic, we are very excited to speak with Nancy Foss. She is a community service representative with Home Instead. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. I'm really excited to hit this topic mm-hmm. today because I think it's something that, especially lately, has been coming up a lot. I've noticed while I'm out in the community talking with families, um, increasingly due to the climate with COVID, a lot of people are choosing to stay home. Uh, they want to avoid hospitals or physicians' offices. Uh, so the topic of home health and home care has come up a lot, and I've been getting a lot of questions. I know there's a lot of confusion around what it is and what's covered. So, Nancy, let's start with the basics. What are the main differences in services between home health and home care? Sure. And that is that is the goal is everybody wants to stay home and, mm-hmm. and they do need services. And I think most people know what home health is, but might not understand the differences between home care and home health. And they are very complementary, but they are different in how we achieve the goals of helping them age in place and stay in place with better outcomes. Um, Home care usually can take over where home health care benefit ends. So home health um, is only used for a short period of time, but they may need continued support, and that's where home care comes in. Home health is, um, it can be provided in a variety of settings, but it's intended for individuals with skilled needs, which requires a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. And that usually, that will always come from a doctor's order. So somebody will not necessarily say, hey, I think I want home health care. It will be, it will be ordered by their physician. And the pr- services that home health provides are things like skilled nursing services, which is something um, hands-on like wound care, observation, um, tube feedings, catheter changes. They also offer skilled therapy services, physical therapy, um, speech, OT, uh, those kind of things. And they also offer medical social services if required and medical supplies. Um, Certain supplies might be paid for by home health, and that would be like wound dressings, catheters, or durable medical equipment like walkers and and wheelchairs Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Where home care is a little different, home care is personalized care, um, but that's something that it's more flexible in types of services it provides. And it's usually um, provided wherever the individual calls home, and that can be uh, in their actual home or if they're in a community. And it's commonly charged by an hourly rate with minimum hours. And we can, and home care can provide uh, 24-7 care. Usually it's, 20, it's a few hours a week all the way up to 24-7. And their types of services is personal care, which could include bathing, grooming, anything hands-on, medication management, transitional care, meal preparation, light housekeeping, uh, transportation. And what's also really important is Alzheimer's and other dementia care and companionship. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the basic differences mm-hmm. of the two. So you talked about this a little bit, but I want to touch on it a little bit deeper. Um, you, you know, my, my grandfather, for example, has been on home health, and it's for wounds and a variety of other things. Um, but we actually brought in home care to help with additional needs and just provide that extra layer of support. So can you talk to us right. a little bit on how you can combine the two and have both of them at once? And what does that look like in the benefits to the patient to having both of them in the home at the same time? Sure. Actually, home health and home care, they're going to work together. They're going to review the discharge plan, so both will do that. 
Um, they're both going to design a personal care plan, and both will implement them. So the goal, again, is to avoid readmission to the hospitals or rehabs and to improve that quality of life. And so what will happen is I know um, our caregivers, they work a lot with the OTPT and the nurses that are in there, and they will follow the same plan of care. And so when home health comes in, they are there for a sh- certain period of time to get their job done. They'll, they'll be there, you know, to, to dress the wound, do the paperwork, and then they leave. And then our caregivers or a, a home care agency, their caregivers will take over and then be able to stay and implement the same plan of care and then add additional things like meal prep and, you know, helping just helping that person with all their daily activity of livings that happen after the home health team leaves. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit to us about what services are included in home care? I know you mentioned some, um, but I do get a lot of questions from families where I think there's some confusion about what home care is and what it is not. Sure. Yeah, so it is not medical. So we're not there to dress wounds mm-hmm. and to do that kind of stuff that home health can take care of. We are there. It can be anything from companionship, which is just, mm. you know, hanging with the, the person and kind of just being being that extra. Well, especially during COVID, isolation yes. in, in seniors has been really horrendous. And so we know the effects of isolation on us, on anybody, but especially on our seniors. So that's a big part of, of what home care does is just engagement. So there's the engagement part. But then there's also the practical of helping get what they need done all throughout the day. And that could be whether they're homebound or they go out. And so we can do transportation as well as the meal prep and um, um, medication reminders, you know, just being there for their safety. That's that's a big, big part of it is being there to make sure that the senior is or the older adult is safe in whatever activities they're doing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you, you just touched on this, but um, I want to talk a little bit about COVID. It's on everyone's mind. And as we're trying to stay home and more mm-hmm. people have tried to stay home during this pandemic, what changes have you seen in the industry and how has it affected the impact? What is the impact on like the level of care that you're seeing? Are people wanting more companionship for their loved ones when they haven't been able to go in and visit as much? Or what impacts has COVID had on your your um, your offering? Sure. Well, obviously, we have had a, an increased number of calls of people saying, hey, we don't want our loved one to go home from rehab or the mm-hmm. hospital into a community. We want them going back home, but we can't be there all the time. And, and that's a lot of what we do is families take care of, do a lot of the caregiving, but we can come in and we fill in the gaps or we do respite. And so, hey, we want somebody there with, with our loved one. Um, and we want it to be a safe environment. And so our caregivers follow all the CDC protocol um, as far as, you know, going in and, and taking care of that part of it. Um, but, yeah, we've seen an increase. People just want to be home because they also want to have family members be able to come visit them. And sometimes in the communities they cannot do that. That's Actually, that's getting better. Hopefully, you know, with vaccinations, everything's going to open up again. But for right now, home care is definitely an option that people are seeking. 
We're speaking with Nancy Foss. She is the community service representative with Home Instead, and we're exploring the differences between home health and home care. And we will continue our conversation with Nancy right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Don't forget, you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, and here, as always, with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, our guest on the line is Nancy Foss. And Nancy is a community service representative with Home Instead, and we are unpacking the differences between home health and home care. And ladies, uh, before the break, we were really diving into COVID-19 and how mm-hmm. that's changed things. And, you know, this has become uh, more and more of a bigger question for folks. Absolutely. It has, definitely. Um, we were talking a little bit about how there's been a lot more requests for companionship for folks mm-hmm. within home care, um, just because people are so isolated. Mm-hmm. So kind of building off of that, I wanted to ask a little bit, um, with home health and home care services, are the same nurses or caregivers assigned to you so folks can kind of build that relationship? Well, there are a lot of different home health agencies Mm -hmm. out there. And so we deal with, depending on what our client, who our client has had, you know, has what company they have. And so we don't necessarily always see the same nurses Mm -hmm. out there. Um, But if we're working alongside the same company, then yes, a lot of times we will run into the same nurses or clinicians or, you know, therapists. Mm -hmm. Um, But each one can be, it it can be different. But our caregivers, we try to, you know, limit the number of caregivers with a particular client. So that person will meet whoever is in the home alongside them. That's great, because I know building some of those relationships are so important. Um, So Mm -hmm. are any of your caregivers qualified nurses? Or CNAs? So we have we have nurses on staff, but they their job is quality assurance visits. Mm-hmm. They'll go out and do the the initial plan of care um, on on our clients who have uh, personal care needs, and then they'll do quality assurance visits. Um, as far as the caregivers that go in, we have some CNAs for our higher level, mm-hmm. you know, of need clients, and then we also have PCAs. Wonderful. So they're, they're not required to be CNAs, mm-hmm. but um, we do have some on staff. Great, good to know. There are a lot of agencies mm-hmm. out there, and there's a lot of confusion between, you know, the home care, like we've been talking about, and home health. But how do you go about finding a home care agency that is right for you? What kind of questions should you ask when mm-hmm. looking and some things that you should be looking for sure. when picking an agency? Absolutely. Well, you want to find out um, what kind of training their caregivers have. Um, I'm surprised that not, like, because we're working with the senior adults, um, there's a lot of dementia and, and Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and so it's really important that the caregivers are, are trained to how to, you know, work with somebody that has Alzheimer's or another dementia. That's an important question. So are they trained, and even are they trained in personal care so that they know how to 
you know, transfer safely um, and do those kind of hands-on things, give, um, engaging, giving a bath and stuff. Um, are they, what kind of communication happens between the agency and the family? Um, we, when we, we have somebody joins us, they have a care coordinator that's with them throughout their entire time with us who is a liaison between the family and home instead. Um, are they licensed? Are they bonded? You know, mm-hmm. those kind of things are really important. Yeah, definitely important things to ask when you're out there seeking for any type of home care agency. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the financial aspect of, of both of those. So we know that home health is medical care. So it's covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or whatever your private insurance is. So what covers home care? Uh, is it home care a part of a long-term care plans, or are they just strictly private pay? Um, now, probably each company is going to be different, what they accept. Um, I know for us, we accept long-term care, mm-hmm. and I think a lot, I think most companies would, as, and also VA benefits. Mm. Um, also, um, the, the, the client has to qualify on their end for mm-hmm. the VA benefits, but then we can mm-hmm. accept that. And then it's private pay, other than that, long-term care, private pay, or VA. Wonderful. And you, and you mentioned this briefly, but so it's by the hour and there's a minimum hour. Is yes. the hours uh, at like a minimum per week or month or how does that work? And how yeah. do you go about deciding how many hours you really need? Mm-hmm. Like what, what kind of goes into the calculation of that? Sure. sure. So again, I can't speak for every home care agency. I know what our minimums are. So, but every company is going to have some kind of minimum because this, this helps with our caregivers being able to go in and actually be effective. You know, if they're just going in for an hour a day, um, that's a lot to ask a caregiver to travel mm-hmm. and, and yeah. just stay for one hour. So we do have a four-hour per shift minimum and a 16 for the week. That's, that's home instead's, um, per, you know, minimums. Um, and... What was your other question? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Um, kind of how do you evaluate how many hours someone oh, would need? Right. Sure. What happens when somebody calls and says, help, I need help? A lot of times they don't understand. They don't right. have a clue what they need. For sure. Um, they're just, they're in, a lot of times they're in panic mode. Hey, we just got this diagnosis or my mom or dad just it was in the hospital. They're coming home. We don't know what we need. So our care coordinators will go out and just meet one-on-one. For a free consultation and they'll kind of go through hey this is this is what tell me what you need and they're really great at being able to assess this, this situation and say hey you know what I think if we had this many hours a day our caregiver can do this this and this so each situation is going to be different but that's the beauty of our our you know our care consults is that they sit down and they find out what the need is and then they determine how many hours a week they need and everyone's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Some people really just need very minimal, and others need 24-7. Um, and we can offer anything in between that. Awesome. So it's, uh, each situation's going to be different, but they're going to sit down and find out what, kind of, what level of care do we need, you know, what, how much involvement is the family. You know, sometimes family members will fill in a bulk of the care, mm-hmm. but then they need a break, they need some respite, so they'll call in a home care agency and, and fill in. Other times, families are not able to because of work schedules or, mm-hmm. or location. They're not in, in the same town, and so there's more need there. Say somebody is, is 
taking care of someone who's out of town. So we've signed up for these hours as a, for home care. And we have someone coming in town who's going to come and live with the family member and take care of them. Can you put it on pause and come back? Or do you have to you know, register for the same amount of hours every week and it kind of goes to waste? Or how does that work if you have someone that can come and take care of them for a little bit of time and, and is also leaving and you'll need to resume care um, in the following weeks? Right. Absolutely. Great question. Uh, no, we, so we don't have contracts. We have a service agreement. And so there's no like, oh, my gosh, you have, you know, you have to, whether you have care or not, you have to pay. So if you want to put it on pause, you just give us a notice and say, hey, I have family members coming in for a day, for two days, for a month. Um, we're going to hold off on care right now. And so we'll put you on pause and then we'll just resume when, whenever the need arises again. At, you know, as long as it, just give us a little notice, just so we can, you know, let our caregivers know that hey, you will not be needed, and and then we're good to go. That's good to know that that flexibility is there. And yes. so, kind of yes. our last question for today: How do you sure. sign up for home care versus home health if someone's interested in either of these services? Sure. Um, like I said before, home health is is generally um, started from the physician's side. Mm -hmm. So they go, they're in the hospital, they're, they go to the hospital, they have a fall, whatever the situation that requires the home health, the doctor is going to request that order. Um, so p people don't necessarily say, hey, I want home health. Mm -hmm. um, if, if they do, then I guess they would have to call their doctor because it does have to come through a physician right. um, order. Home care, they just can do a Google search or they can call home instead, and um, then we can take it from there. Awesome. Very good. And Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Is homeinstead.com a, a wonderful way for folks to find more information? Yes, homeinstead.com, and they can even put in the slash 226 and go right directly to our website, or if they just put homeinstead.com, they can you know, put in their information and it'll take it take them to us. Wonderful. Nancy Foss, she is the Community Service Representative with Home Instead. Again, we thank you so much for your time and we really appreciate it today. Well, thank you for having me. It was it was a great time and have a great day. You, you too, too as well, Nancy. We are just about out of time. We got to get out of here. We hope you will join us again next weekend, next Saturday at four for Aging Matters. And uh, on behalf of Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, I am Jason Kong. Again, thank you so much. Don't forget WPTF.com. If you want to find more podcasts of Aging Matters, just click on the podcast button and there you'll find the Aging Matters section. You can re-listen to this episode as well as all the other episodes of Aging Matters. We hope you'll, again, you'll join us again next Saturday at four. This has been Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.